The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Women and Sport, The Long Road Up, with host Carol Oglesby. This program explores the historical roots that women's sport has taken in the past half century, from light competition to collegiate, professional, and Olympic sports today. Now, here is your host, Carol Oglesby. Welcome, welcome, everyone. In every Long Road Up episode, guests have repeatedly emphasized the importance of of us achieving accessibility and access for all to fully participate to the best of one's ability. Our guests today are leaders among that portion of all that is often overlooked and underserved, girls and women who are differently abled. This threesome initially got their engines burning as fierce competitors and then set the world of inclusive and disability sport afire as coaches, administrators, consultants, researchers, and or advocates. So we're going to hear their amazing stories and better yet feel their irrepressible spirit throughout this program. In our first segment, we want to get to know them and gain insight into their personal sporting careers and learn how each was able to overcome obstacles and challenges. All of us are in different locations, so I'm going to use the semi-formality of calling on each of you in order to avoid confusion. Um, using alpha order by first names, that means, Andrea, you're going to lead us off. So, Dr. Andrea Woodson-Smith, would you please share with us about your early years, how you became involved in sport, who encouraged you, and if anyone discouraged you along the way? Sure. I became involved in sports at a very young age, around the age of three. Um, my mother started me off with swim lessons and dance lessons. Um, from there, I went on to um, gymnastics, um, more competitive swimming, basketball, t-ball, softball, and then later on, volleyball. Um, for the most part, my family encouraged me to be involved and to do my best at all times. Um, if I ever got discouraged, they would talk to me and encourage me to continue on and, like I said, to do the best that I was able to do at that given time. Uh, for a little while, my brother and I competed together uh, specifically in swimming because he's eight years older than I am, but we both shared moments where he was on the swim team and I was on the swim team, so that was always um, a great opportunity. And then from there, um, I just pretty much followed his lead in sports. Um, he had records in middle school. He had records in high school. And I just wanted to pretty much emulate what he was doing and hopefully be able to obtain um, records in middle school and high school as well. Um, there was also another person who... I emulated, which was my babysitter's daughter who played volleyball, and she was a really good volleyball player in high school, and I wanted to be just like her with volleyball. So volleyball was actually my main sport um, that I truly loved. Um, As I got older, around middle school and high school, um, I started to, you know, become more competitive as to reach, try to reach those records that my brother already set. And um, I think it started in middle school where I had my first record. And then in high school, I had my second record of competing um, in different various sports. Um, And then also, my parents helped me a great deal with sports, you know, from them taking me to the different sport practices, also getting me involved in a variety of sports. I don't think that there was ever a time when I was not in sports since the age of three years old. So I've always competed in sports through that time. Um, so it was my parents. My, my sorry, father sorry. helped with um, me with pitching for softball. He helped me with shooting for basketball. He used to run with me to get in condition. Um, my mom used to help me with shooting as well. 
And then, like I said, most of it was just my family members just encouraging me to do the best that I could. As far as discouragement, um, I think I, I didn't have that much discouragement of not participating in sports or something holding me back, but I did have a few instances where some of my teammates or friends um, discouraged me from playing. Um, I was teased several times through middle school because I was six feet tall in the seventh and eighth grade, and so coaches <laughs> <No>. began. <laughs> yeah, so coaches began to you know to talk about me as this upcoming person or upcoming freshman in high school and how they, they were going to utilize me in high school for basketball and for volleyball. And some of the, the kids in middle school, I guess they, did just, they just didn't like that. And so I used to get teased a lot. I used to get called a ball hog a lot. And um, it, it's kind of ironic because I think that during those years, I was not a very good basketball player. <laughs> I was just tall and I could put the ball in a basket. And that was pretty much all that I could do. <laughs> but... um. Those were the only people that really discouraged me. And then um, I guess it would be myself because I was a standout. Um, I was the one who was making the baskets on the team. I was the one who was being talked about. So, And I didn't really like that a lot. I, I kind of liked to, to blend in with uh, the team and not be that standout person while I was playing. But um like I said, I didn't have that much discouragement in my early years of playing. Everyone was very uh, encouraging for me to do the best that I could. They looked forward to, you know, hearing about the endeavors that I was possibly going to get into post-high school. Um, and so, yeah, so my family members were my biggest uh, supporters. Thanks. Well, uh, Andrea, you have an amazing uh, career in the sense that here you're saying you started at age three, and I think you're still competing. Uh, so there's been a lot of career highlights, but in the couple of minutes that we've got here, um, could you just say what were the real standouts for you? What what were the most exciting things that you ever did or participated in? Sure. Um, in high school, it was me scoring over a thousand points, and um, I I think I possibly may still have the rebounding record in high school. In college, um, my freshman year at James Madison University, we, the team got into the NCAA. We were the last place team in the NCAA, and we played the first team, first place team, which was Penn State, and we actually beat them and made Whoa. it to the sweet, yes, made it to the Sweet Sixteen, um, and then um, after college, post college. Um, one of my highlights was being having the opportunity to try out for the WNBA team. I didn't make it, but just being able to have that opportunity to try out for a WNBA team was another highlight. Yeah. Well, all right. Let's move on to Dr. Becky Clark. Uh, Becky, tell us about your early years. Um, how did you find sport or did it find you um, encouragements and discouragements along the way? I'd like to say hello to uh, my teammates over there. You- Carol and Andrea and Tiffany, and uh, I also appreciate the accommodations of real-time captioning for those of us who are deaf or hard of hearing. Um, in terms of my uh, uh, early childhood, similar to uh, Andrea, when I was born with a teammate, I am a twin, uh, twin brother, and so we had our little competition. My brother was not much, he was not a competitor in organized sports. He stayed away from that, but I had my own co- uh, competitor in him in all the different sports. And um, the two of us who on the Clark side of the family, my parents, our parents were divorced. So, But in the early years, the family all went, um, we learned to swim and water ski. Uh, any kind of water sports, I uh, would say, uh, gosh, three or four years old, similar to Andrea. And like I said, I had a, um, I was born in the Deep South. And the acceptable sports for girls at that time, it seemed to be, was swimming, tennis, or golf. And I wanted to play them all. And the fact that I grew up in a neighborhood, all boys, with maybe just one girl who was maybe six or seven years younger than me. So I was often called a tomboy, and, and I was often told, you know, you need, to, you need to stop that, start taking care of babies and families, you know. Uh, and, but my sporting career took off with my aunt. One, bless her heart, she died last year. Um, she signed me up for various sports at a local community center. This is 
you know, didn't have girls' teams in elementary and high school, well, elementary. And so I got my start there in organized sports and basketball, volleyball, softball, track and field, I did them all. And, um, you know, she was my main supporter. She took me to practices. She came to all my games. And the other support uh, that I got, especially the female in sports, uh, this was before I became deaf, uh, was was basically female coaches and trainers that I had, which seemed to be a lot back then than compared to today. Um, so from elementary school in that time, I went on to high school. I went to two different high schools. I transferred from one high school to another for a better opportunity at a, at a scholarship for girls. And um, just, uh, I, gosh, with volleyball, I was a middle blocker, basketball, um, I was an all-state basketball player in high school, and uh, track and field set some records in the shot put, low hurdles, and uh, uh, softball. I played 20 years of basketball softball. Actually, my coach put me at second base, and then I noticed my, my hearing was starting to go. I couldn't hear that far. So she put me at home plate with her so I could hear the instruction, and that's how I became a catcher. <laughs> uh, so, and then I went on to college. I earned a basketball scholarship. Um, to a small college, actually my first uh, recruit trip. I was recruited by several universities. was at UCLA, and I went out there when I was 17, and I talked to Coach Billy Moore and met Ann Myers, who I was just uh, you know, one of my hours at the time, and um, talked about coming out to UCLA and playing for my upperclassman years, but I needed to earn my way my freshman year. Well, long story short, I took a, a four-year scholarship at a small university in Memphis, Tennessee, where I'm originally from, and boom, that, so that was a major transition. It didn't affect the way I played. It, you know, I was all eyes, and I was a natural athlete, so my ability over override my uh, disability. But at, the, at that time, um, I transferred again to the University of Tennessee, and I played basketball as a walk-on for past summit. And um, the the year I played for her was one of the uh, most highlights of my athletic career because in that time, uh, Pat, uh, she you know, took no pity parties, no excuses. She taught me a lot on how to anticipate and basically also uh, to take initiative at that time. When I became deaf, people were telling me what I could not do and I cannot do in terms of sports, in terms of my life, in terms of academics, in terms of life itself in general. So basically, uh, the college and then I went on to, um, you know, a career in, uh, well, I want to say career, but in, I got involved with deaf sport and deaf Olympics, and I was three-time uh, deaf Olympian in volleyball. But at the time, they didn't have basketball as they do now. And so that's basically my career. I retired at the age of 36. Okay, thanks, Becky. Uh, we're going to move to Tiffany now. Tiffany, we might have to break in the middle of your story, but don't worry. Just keep on going, and um, I'll let you know how our timing is going. Uh, Tiffany Williams, tell us about your growing up and and uh, how your experiences um, in sport were characterized by encouragement or discouragement. Okay, hello, everyone. So, yes, it looks like all three of us have a lot in common we all are very competitive growing up. I grew up in an athletic family. My grandfather and both my parents all around were all around athletes. My father himself went to the Death Olympics back then for the 120 hurdle, 120 yard hurdles in 1961 in Finland. My brother, who is two years older than I am, was a natural athlete, so while growing up, he always made me play sports with him because I'm a girl, he wanted the brother, he wanted me to play, so he made me very, very competitive in all kinds of sports. So since elementary school, I played in tackle football with him, with the neighborhood kids, baseball, basketball, all kinds of things. I believe that helped me develop my athletic capabilities. And luckily, in the deaf school that I attended, they had a strong history of sending athletes to the Deaf Olympics 
So in addition to my father always talking about stories about his experience going to the Death Olympics, the coaches at the school also encouraging and exposing us to thinking about training for the Death Olympics. So that inspired me to want to go to the Death Olympics. So I aspired since middle school, my dream was to go to the Death Olympics. So I was always competing. I don't remember a time where I was not competing. I, especially in high school, four straight years during high school, I was weekends. I was, I was never home. I was always going to different uh, track and fields. I enjoyed basketball, cheerleading, cross country, track. I had to stop all other sports and focus on track and field during my junior and senior year and really focus on that to train for the Death Olympics. That was my specialty was track. So my highlights really were focused on uh, winning the national championship, the Death Championship during my senior year in high school and four of my national high school records still continue on. They haven't been broken for the last 31 years. So that's my highlight there. Another highlight was experiencing uh, uh, the first sorry, international sorry, let me, match. Tricia, sorry, let me break here. Yes. We have to take a, a quick break. I'm going to get right back to you, and we will hear the end of Tiffany's story. Excited to hear for that uh, because I know about some of these challenges and uh, some of the accomplishments of our people who are guests today. So hold on, folks. We're going to be back in just a few minutes to look at more work on the long road up. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Carol Oglesby has a documented commitment to performance enhancement and development of positive embodiment along the full age and ability spectrum. She has created sport community-based programs that empower, educate, motivate in a sports plus model. She has worked with elite athletes who have experienced injury, burnout, and challenged relationships with coaches and teammates. She is a life coach dedicated to aid in the rediscovery of clarity, purpose, and joy in clients. Call Carol today at 818-324-2957. That's 818-324-2957. We go through all kinds of challenges in life. How we deal with them is a different story. If we carry them on our shoulders, we can experience health problems, relationship issues, and other negative aspects these challenges can pose. Jeanette Abney's Precious Predicaments is here to help you pick up and sort out the pieces through education and encouragement. You don't have to live in fear and pain. Let's find solutions together. Precious Predicaments is heard live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are tuned in to Women and Sport, The Long Road Up. To reach Carol Oglesby or her guest today, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back, everybody. Tiffany Williams is our third guest, and uh, Trish is interpreting for us uh, and for Tiffany today. I think Tiffany was just about to tell about um, the Deaf Olympic experience after looking forward to it for many years. So let's finish up with that before we move on to the next uh, topic area. Anything more about yeah. the uh, Deaf Olympics? So, thank, yeah, I was just about to say the highlight um, <clears throat> that, yeah. Going to West Germany in 1984, my first international experience before going to the Death Olympics was one of my best experiences in my whole life. In fact, I would never forget that. That experience made me who I am today. 
in the international sporting scene. And of course, being selected on the 1985 Deaf Olympic team was a great honor for me. And really, the challenges for me, especially, were was funding, was funding and barrier were communication barriers to attend the Deaf Olympics. I was required to fundraise a hundred percent of the funds and my cost myself to train to going to school full time and to fundraise all at the same time. That was really demanding and discouraging. I wish I didn't have to do that. And all the deaf Olympians didn't have to do that. And now, and still today, that's, it's sad. Um, for those that have to work full time and it's challenging as well, they work full time and fundraise and, you know, train. I remember during my time in the eighties, how I had to fundraise. I sold candles, knocked on doors, selling little candles to everyone. That's how I fundraised the money. At that time, I remember that. I didn't feel like an elite athlete knocking on doors and people looking at me. Oh, that poor deaf girl. Sure, I'll give you the money. I, I didn't feel. Today, fundraising efforts have changed. Then back then, you don't go knocking on people's doors anymore. But I wish... My goal now is to, to change the ways for lead athletes so that way they can go to the Deaf Olympics easier. Related to communi- another communication barrier in my experience, luckily my school, the Deaf school, was very supportive for Deaf, Olympic, for deaf athletes. They hired Olympic uh, coaches to train us. They, they recruited the elite athletes. And we were really fortunate to have the top not not as uh, coaches, you know, they improved my time and my performance before I went to the games. But one of the things that I missed was the communication, the access to them, meaning, you know, I missed the opportunity to discuss the mental agility and how I could deal with the stress before the meet, all that kind of the things. I miss all of that. But, um, I compensated with that by reading and discussing with my peers on how I could, you know, face those, you know, barriers. In this second segment of our program, we're going to mostly focus on the many and varied ways that all three of our guests have begun to give back to a variety of communities. And Tiffany's story is a perfect transition into this giving back aspect. Um, looking at your Vita, I know that you became CEO of the International Council of Sports for the Deaf, um, working with the IOC uh, on the Athens Olympic Games. Um, so we move, Tiffany, from you being a competitor in the Deaf Olympics to being a um, high-level administrator. Tell about how that happened and, and uh, what, your, what your experiences were at that high level of uh, sport administration. Yes. Thank you, Carol. So, yes, after I graduated from Gallaudet University, and in with business, I worked for corporate world for several years. Then I decided sports was my was my passion. So I worked for so I worked for the International Committee for Sports under the Death Olympics. I began working there as the administrator for several years until I found out that they opened the CEO position before that they didn't have the CEO position, but the Deaf Olympics was, was growing. So they decided to have the CEO position. I realized that I only had the BA degree wasn't enough. I wanted to have a master's degree in sports administration. So I decided to go to Switzerland to get a degree in sports administration at the University of Lausanne. So I went in 2003, took my two daughters with me. At the same time, got the opportunity to intern at the IOC because I wanted to have a good look at how the IOC operated and their games department because I felt that the Deaf Olympics could really benefit 
and how they run. In 2003, 2004, they were preparing for the Olympic Games in Athens. So it was perfect time for me to intern there. So I had a wonderful opportunity. After I graduated there, I became the CEO of 2005 through 2011. My challenges, of course, were the communication barriers during, you know, I had to pay for an interpreter during my stay, during the education of, with the Muzan. But anyone who wants to drive high, you know, always finds a way to break down those barriers. I guess, you know, I, you know, condensed a little bit to give an opportunity for others to speak. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. And a wonderful story. Um, Becky Clark, looking at your resume, I see you earned a master's degree in clinical social work and a PhD in sports psychology, after which you began extensive consulting with deaf and disability community and in the mainstream population. So take us through that journey. How in the world did you make all that happen? Certainly not alone and not uh, <laughs> not taking no for an answer and just being stubborn for the most part. Uh, but I think most of us, uh, even athletes, you know, or just athletes in general, especially females that, you know, we push for and we never settle for what's just good enough or just settling. We go just drive straight to the top and sometimes beyond that. And also from probably not sleeping. <laughs> but uh, seriously, um, my... My focus on my master's degree, so what I really wanted to do in life was to be a clinician, uh, a therapist who worked with athletes with um, uh, you know, performance skills as well as life transition skills um, and issues such as depression and anxiety and, and whatnot that we all experience in life. And I, during the time I was in school, there was really nothing in sport per se until I found out about... Well, actually, I met you, Carol, uh, in 1983 at a women's sport called, uh, conference in Washington, D.C., called the New Agenda. And um, I learned a little bit about sports psychology and so forth. And uh, so I ended up finishing up my degree at NYU, and then I understood that you were at Temple University and, uh, and had a program on sports psychology. And I really wanted to transfer, but I needed to finish my clinical degree. That was great advice. And, so I went on to Temple University and um, got really into um, both the clinical aspects and the uh, performance aspect of sport and, and just dealing with the athlete uh, as a whole rather than just in bits and pieces. Um, so from, they gave me a great background, research background, to satisfy my own curiosity and what's out there. When I found out with girls and girls and uh, uh, women with disabilities and deafness, there was very few uh, research. Uh, so how do we, um, you know, how do we what, uh, identify what the needs are? I knew there was a lot of discrimination and stigma and not enough opportunities and, and at least for leadership. So, so I got involved with deaf and disability uh, organizations and in a leadership capacity um, and uh, like Women's Sports International is one for the advisory board and also established a, uh, uh, a task force of girls and women with disability in sport, I mean, and deafness and disability in sport and oh gosh, this is so much, um, I wear many hats and I feel like now uh, that those People before me, both men and women, who have paved the way, have given me an opportunity, and I, in turn, have um, tried to, what we call from the Brighton Declaration and how thinking, lead the change, feed the change, and I try to be a mentor in that part, too, so that's how I, kind of like roundabout way, I just keep going and uh, try to, you know, continue uh, paving the way, but also... Uh, Increasing the level of participation in leadership for girls and women uh, in sports, with and without disabilities and deafness, per se. Uh, so that's really basically uh, what I do. 
Yes, what you do, 24 and 7. Um, Andrea, okay. Um, you have continued your success in wheelchair basketball. We've talked about that right to the present, but also along the way, earning a PhD in adapted physical activity, uh, participating in workshops, consultancies, home and abroad, including some with Dr. Clark. So tell us about uh, the academic journey and how that uh, linked up with your um, disability sport work. Absolutely. Um, it started when I was working on my master's degree. I earned a master's degree in adapted physical education at North Carolina Central University. And then from here, um, they had a transition program that took you from your master's degree into your doctoral program um, at two different universities. And so I chose to go to Texas Women's University to work on my PhD. And while I was working on my PhD, one of my loves is sports in general, um, and then sports for girls and women, um, and sports for those who have disabilities. And so um, my degree at that time was going into adapted physical education, and so we didn't really work on a lot of sports um, per se within the program, but we did have two classes that focused specifically on sports, and one was disability in sport, and one was exercise for uh, individuals with um, disabilities. And so within my disability sport class, um, we had a lot of guest speakers come in, or we would go out to different teams, and one of the teams that we went to was the, at the time, I think they were called the Lady Texans, that was located in Dallas, Texas. Um, So we were able to go there and meet with one of the former Paralympians for the USA basketball team. And once they found out that I was eligible to play, then they uh, recruited me to to play wheelchair basketball for them. And so from there, I tried out for, they sent, actually, they sent me to a wheelchair basketball camp, which um, throughout all of my high school years, I was always going to basketball camps in the summertime. And so now I transitioned from basketball camp to wheelchair basketball camp. And so that led me into meeting former Paralympic coaches. And so they suggested that I try out for one of the USA Paralympic teams. And I did. And um, the first year that I tried out, I was an alternate and then uh, was moved onto the team in 2004. And then I tried out again in 2006, 2010 through 12. And so I made the team from 2004, 6, 10 through 12, and that became, that's where I became a Paralympian for wheelchair basketball. And from that experience, that, and from that experience and having a PhD, um, that opened up so many doors for me to have opportunities to, to be able to be an advocate for those who have disabilities, for girls and women involved in sports, and for girls and women with disabilities in sport. And so I was able to link up with the U.S. Department of State as a sports envoy. And from there, I traveled to various countries. Uh, One in particular was China, where I met Dr. Becky Becky Clark. And so both of us did work there um, to speak about girls and women involved in sports, how to become involved in sports, um, how to advocate for themselves, um, and then talking about inclusion of girls being involved in sports um, alongside their peers, alongside uh, boys. And I also did work in PNG, Papua New Guinea, um, working with girls and women in sports as well. And so I've had, I've had a lot of opportunities to, to be, become that advocate um, because coming into wheelchair sports and being a Paralympic, I didn't have an advocate. I didn't know anything really about the Paralympic side versus what, I read in research books and things like that. So for me to to participate in it and then to come out on the other side and become an advocate, to have my research involved in it, to have my degrees involved in it, it's just full circle for me. Uh, tell me, uh, Andrea, when you're working with girls uh, in these other countries, many of them developing areas, do you feel uh, we're all athletes the same or is there a lot of cultural difference that you're dealing with, or maybe a little bit of both there? But but what's what's that aspect like for you? For for me, I find it different. Um, in different cultures, girls do not participate in sports as we do over here in the United States. Um, we have a lot of girls who participate in sports here in the United States, 
Um, it may not be as many as the male as the male counterpart, but we do participate in sports in different countries. Um, you may see girls on the sideline. You may need, may not see them at all. Um, some of the people who are working with both males and females only allow the males to participate. So you don't really see that much um, participation on the girls and women's in other cultures. Um, and the, the two that I went to specifically. And a lot of times they, they kind of hold back on participating themselves. So if you tell them to come out and participate, they, they're um, not forthcoming as to, yes, I want to participate. You have to kind of ease them into it. Mm-hmm. And then once they get involved, they truly enjoy. I mean, you can see the expression on their faces, how they truly enjoy participating in sport. And for some of them, it was the first time even participating in sport or in different sport skills. Um, and you could see the enjoyment right on their faces as they lit up when the first time that they were able to bounce a basketball. So it is, it is quite different um, in different countries. Um, the countries that I specifically went to um, where the girls did not participate in sports as much as the, as the males. Okay, very good. Thank you, Andrea. We'll be back in just a few moments, folks, continuing our journey on the long road up. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Carol Oglesby has a documented commitment to performance enhancement and development of positive embodiment along the full age and ability spectrum. She has created sport community-based programs that empower, educate, motivate in a sports plus model. She has worked with elite athletes who have experienced injury, burnout, and challenged relationships with coaches and teammates. She is a life coach dedicated to aid in the rediscovery of clarity, purpose, and joy in clients. Call Carol today at 818-324-2957. That's 818-324-2957. Are you ready for a health, life, and empowerment show in one? Then be sure to listen every week for Living Well with Ann Beal. Ann takes her long-running TV show to the Internet Talk Radio Airwaves with guest experts and insight designed to help you live a healthy and successful life. By hearing from the experts and those who have found success, our goal is that you too will be motivated to do the same. Living Well with Ann Beal can be heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Women and Sport, The Long Road Up. To reach Carol Oglesby or her guest today, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back, everybody. In our last segment today... We're going to be getting an exciting preview look at some of the significant work projects that our guests are either launching or continuing in the near future. Andrea, I'm going to ask you to go first on this. Your work, um, as you've just begun to describe it, entails not only your own personal commitments, but you have managed to involve your students in some of the work as well. So... um, If you can, give us a synopsis of the proposed itinerary for Dr. Woodson-Smith and et al., all the students involved, in the next few years. Okay. Um, So currently, my my students work in the school district with the Adapted Physical Education Specialists. Um, So we're going to continue to do that. We want to be able to... um, do a little bit more hosting with the Special Olympic events for the school districts in the area for the spring games. Um, I plan on having my students getting more involved, actively participating and volunteering with the Special Olympics, the adaptive sports, and um, adaptive CrossFit opportunities within the area. So that way they get to see firsthand experience of, of all different types of disabilities, not just children in school with adaptive physical education. Um, And then I also want, I'm looking for opportunities to get my students 
to volunteer at some of the um, top-notch adaptive CrossFit events here on the East Coast um, and to participate with the Valor Games that occur um, once a year here as well. And so, and then for my master's degree students and my undergraduate students, I want them to get more involved in research on the athletes themselves, on the reasons why they participate in um, adaptive sports, um, and just things like that. So in the next few years, um, I want them to get more involved in participating and volunteering in the adaptive athletic performance of athletes. Um, we're also, I'm also working on an initiative with the Boys and Girls Club to, to do a National Women in Sports Day event, so that way we can reach out to the girls at the Boys and Girls Club specifically and teach them about the opportunities um, of being involved in sports. And this is for all girls, whether they have a disability or they do have a disability uh, or don't have a disability, but so that they see what opportunities are out there Um, within sports and beyond just participating in sports, you know, the administration, the administrative roles and things like that. So those those are the things that I plan on um, coming up for the next few years with my students. Um, Andrea, I know that if people see the promotional materials about today's program, they would see your email address and where you are located. But just in case people don't have access to that um, information, what what university are you working from and and how would people um, reach, uh, get access to information about the academic programs at your school? So I currently work at North Carolina Central University, and to find out more information about our university and our program, you could go to www.nccu.edu, and then click on, um, you can click on the academics for college and behavioral social sciences, and then the physical education and recreation department. That's where I am located. That's where you can be found when you are in town, which is only part of the time, probably. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, let's get. It. We're going to move and talk to Tiffany and Becky together now, uh, because they have a brand new joint venture that to tell us about. So um, the two of you, I'm turning it over to you. Tell us how this project evolved, the name, how you de- how you uh, designed that, and and where you're going with the project. Tiffany, you want to take the lead on this one? Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> we are really, really excited about this. So I'm so proud to be partnering with Dr. Becky Clark on this. And the name of our company is Wobald Sports. The goal is to really, really to reach... Um, reach out to young girls and women, deaf women and um, disabled women, both, and as you know, you know, sports play, physical activity really is essential, is an essential part of our lives, and no one should miss out on it. We want to, you know, reconnect through consulting, um, workshops, training, mental agility, coaching, motivational speaking. Those are all kinds of the tools that we plan to, you know, utilize and we'll go globally and locally. With both of our experiences, we feel that we have, you know, the appropriate tools and skill sets to reach out. And right now, there are no, we don't feel that there's a lot of services out there, you know, specifically for women at the moment. You know, Becky, please go ahead and add to, you know, what oh, I'm saying. Okay. That's right. We, uh, I just wanted to say that we also, um, Trish, I think that you're interpreting for Tiffany, so there's a lag in the conversation for the interpreting. Okay. Actually, basically, thank you, Tiffany. I'm pretty excited about teaming up with you, and you know, as I did with uh, Dr. Andrea Whitney-Smith at the 
sports on boy in China, and, and um, this is one of the things that we had talked about back in China, and and also meeting with Tiffany. I've known her for many years, but I've never met her until recently through Skype, and uh, uh, when she reached out to talk about, you know, the unmet need for girls and women with disabilities and who are deaf, too, uh, there, I don't, I have not seen a uh, company such as this that is actually run by um, women who with disabilities or who are deaf like we are. And so basically we are entering uh, this huge market, an unmet market, in terms of empowerment and leadership services through sports. As, as uh, I think Andrea Tiffany had mentioned before, 93% of this population all over the world uh, do not participate in sports nor are they physically activity. Listen to that. 93%. It blows me away. That's just... Uh, so we're jumping in, and uh, we're going to be busy providing these services, but it's like too bold, too. We want to attend to the athletes um, and those who participate, those with, well, our target population with girls and women with disabilities. And then work with them on the leadership skills and running, running a voice for themselves and standing up and training the trainer where they train people in their countries for accessibility, accommodation, leadership, participation, accommodations, uh, tackling barriers and diplomacy. And on the other side, we work with the public sector and sports organizations. Now, um, sports United we're here in the United States, the Department of State has an outstanding model and so I'm hoping to do some collaborations with uh, organizations uh, like Sports United and University of Tennessee and uh, there's just various different sporting organizations. And so that's basically what we do. And I'm, I'm just, you know, it's Wobold. We come up with the name Wobold because it cannot be translated in other language other than Wobold itself. And what it means, the W-O for world and women and bold. We find our, be bold in our uh our presence and our competing and our participation in life itself because so often we do not have, um, we're actually an invisible population. So my goal, or Tiffany and I's goal, Wobo's goal is, and I'm sure that with, with Andrea's goals too, is to bring it out to the forefront. Look, here we are. We're coming out of the shadows, and we're coming out of the shadows leading boldly. All right, that's my pep talk. <laughs> how how would people? How would be the best way for people to reach, um, to reach you, uh, the Wobold okay. business? Okay, well, we have our, we, yeah, we have our website set up now. We say www.woboldsports.com. That's w o b o l d s p o r t s dot com, and it's just the Dr. Becky at Wobold dot com or Tiffany at uh, WolfBowSports.com. And uh, so I want to, um, what you're describing, Becky, is very much a look at the future. Um, Absolutely. Uh, enhanced, a, a future enhanced by the kind of activities that all of you are doing. But I wonder in the few minutes that we have, just a couple of minutes remaining, if uh, uh, any of you would like to comment about what you see for the future, uh, the obstacles, and and how are the obstacles going to be met um, in the next in the near future? I, if I may just jump in for maybe thirty seconds here, I see the obstacle is, is is bringing everything to the forefront, getting it out of the shadows, identifying the issues, the barriers in in different places, training the trainers over there, rather than you know the U.S. is doing this. No, we are the world, so we uh, all of us. It takes. It takes the world to do this. So we're hoping to give the resources. And I think we just need to identify the issues and find a solution, train it, and make action. So, I mean, that's uh, like a, a general way. But maybe Andrea and Tiffany, would you add to that? Yes, I think um, that the resources is key and the training of individuals so that they know how to work with people with disabilities, so they know right. what opportunities are available for people with disabilities, um, and, and to, to know and understand that 
it's okay if you don't know all of the information, but that you can ask and you know where to look to find that information. So I think those are, are going to be the keys to um, broadening the or increasing the number of participants for for girls in sports or women in sports, specifically with disabilities. Uh, Tiffany, you want to chime in on this one? Yeah, perfect. <laughs> I mean, no, <laughs> they they pretty much, you know, keyed in on everything that I would have said. It seems that um, each of the three of you has uh, pursued a pretty extensive education along with your athletic participation. Um, how important uh, is the, the combo there? Uh, can a, a woman with disabilities advance um, with, without, say, higher education? Uh, or is that something that really, really helps move things along? I think, and this is Becky talking, I think uh, education has helped a, a good deal, I think, for the three of us. I mean, speaking for myself, and I think we need to get out to, like, uh, a lot of women with disabilities and deafness do not have the opportunities for a higher education because of the accessibility accommodations, whether it's communication or whether it's funding or whether it's, you know, being in a place to offer that. So um, I think it makes a difference. Uh, but I don't think you really have to be highly educated per se. I you know, have a uh, desire to learn, you know, wherever you are and how to, you know, create an action plan and strategic plan to make it happen. Uh, make your goals happen, I mean, not so much the education per se. Well, I want to uh, say that it's just amazing to me to imagine that the, how, how much uh, mileage around this world the three of you have traveled. And I know there have been tremendous <laughs> obstacles along yeah. the way, but you have not let anything stand in the way. So congratulations. Um, we're going to sign off now. Uh, and I wanted to say about next week that we're going to uh, pick up, as Andrea mentioned, about um, resources. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking to some folks who are dealing um, with uh, philanthropy. How, how can we bring more resources, more dollars into the support for girls and women and sport, all girls and women? So join us again next week on The Long Road Up. <music> Thank you for listening to Women and Sport, The Long Road Up. Please join Carol Oglesby for another edition next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have an amazing week.